Welcome to the 54th episode of the ACC Now podcast. I'm News and Observer Sports columnist Luke DeCock. With me is our UNC beat writer, C.L. Brown. The 3-0 Tar Heels have the week off, but that's a good chance for C.L. and I to talk about what's happened and what's coming next. And C.L., I'm just going to throw this right at you. What's the biggest surprise for you through three games with the UNC football team? I mean, the biggest surprise to me has to be Drake May because I, as much as I heard about him and thought that he would be good eventually, I'm not sure anyone thought he would play close to flawless football, you know, in these first three games they've had. I mean, he, he did finally have the one interception at Georgia State, but, you know, that's his lone pick among, what is it, 11 touchdown passes. And He's distributed the ball well. You can't really tell who his favorite guy is if you if you want to even try and pinpoint one guy. You know, it, it seems like usually with young quarterbacks, they they might have a rapport with somebody who's the the go-to receiver. And, you know, I'm not sure that that you could say he has that yet. So um, and definitely, and I and that's not even to mention what he's done, you know, running the ball and scrambling and with his legs. So and I jumping. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. He needs to keep his feet <laughs> But yes, Drake May to me has been the the biggest uh, surprise so far. He's over halfway to his dad's career touchdown total at UNC. He's played three games. His dad played three seasons. <laughs> crazy, yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, no, I you know, and and as I wrote after the FAMU game, you know, the idea that the the baggage that this kid carried with him coming into UNC, his dad, his brother, his other brother, taking over for an NFL draft pick who was briefly a Heisman candidate, but set all kinds of school records and actually living up to every one of those things so far. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't won a national title like his brothers, obviously, but uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, that's, you know, you don't, you don't normally set that bar that high and clear it right away. Yeah. So that's been pretty no doubt that's been pretty impressive. Uh, and he doesn't even have a favorite. Not only does he have a favorite receiver, he doesn't even have a favorite tight end. But we'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing people would say, anyone would say is a big surprise is, and this is really the thrust of this podcast is to try to break this down, is when the Tar Heels brought back Gene Chizik, everyone expected the same sort of instant improvement that we saw from North Carolina uh, between 2014 and 2015 when, when Gene Chizik took over for Vic Canning and took a defense that basically same defense that gave up 70 points in Greenville to East Carolina and made it into one good enough to win a, a division title. So let's, let's start there. What, and let's backtrack ahead. What did you expect from North Carolina's defense going into this season? Cause obviously it was not good last year. Yeah. I expected them to be much improved. Um, uh, I expected, <laughs> I, I shouldn't even admit this publicly. I expected the defense to carry the team earlier in the season while, <laughs> yeah, while a young quarterback kind of got his footing. Your that's credibility this way, right, right out the window. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, based on kind of the talent that they've stockpiled on defense and, and the way recruiting it gone, I thought that they would be, more of a strength this year and and some of the things that we saw last year with you know busted plays and allowing teams explosive plays i thought at the very least they would really cut down on that and we just really haven't seen that you know i mean obviously the 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 exaggerated example was everything that happened in that appalachian state game but even against georgia state you know they gave up a couple of big plays now 
overall, they played much better against Georgia State, and they made a lot more plays in that game, which ultimately ended up, you know, they ended up winning because of it. But you had the same situation where Carolina seems on the verge of blowing the game out, and they let a team back in. You know, it was it was 41-21 against Appalachian State, and then it was uh, 21-3 against Georgia State, and Georgia State comes back with 25 straight points, you know, to take a lead, and and you can't have that happen once ACC play starts, obviously. No, and I would argue the same thing happened sort of in reverse in the opener in the Week Zero game against a really a, a, an undermanned and shorthanded Florida A&M team where UNC's defense let Florida A&M hang around right until the end of the first half yeah. when, uh, you know, there's a really if, – if, if Florida A&M goes down and We're really into there, the third quarter. Yeah, well, the, the, the pick at the end of the first half really oh, yeah. changed, yeah. The, changed the dynamic. Because if, if Florida A&M goes down and scores there, and it's, I, I believe, a seven-point – I think that would have made it 21-14 if I remember correctly, instead it would, it, it, the score flipped there, but still, you know, and, and we know now, like, look, Florida A&M's quarterback, you know, he may, he may not have played at Hawaii and he may not have played at Vanderbilt, but he could play. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen that sense from, from him. So, so there's some of that. And, and obviously that Florida A&M was, was up against it, which made UNC's defensive performance all the more concerning. As it turns out, that was a harbinger of things to come. Uh, certainly against apps, the disaster, absolute dis- defensive disaster against App State. So, all right. So we're seeing the same things we saw last year: the missed assignments, the missed tackles, uh, the sort of lack of organization at times. Uh, what what do you identify sort of as the two or three key issues with why UNC is still struggling on defense? Well, I I expected the defensive line to be a lot more, if not dominant, just you know, a lot tougher than they've shown. Uh, I, I felt like they had the most depth there uh, with the amount of people he'd be able to run in and out. I felt felt like they would be a fresh, you know, they would pretty much stay fresh and, and be able to really change the course of games on the line of scrimmage. And, you know, we, we haven't really seen that. Um, uh, I think they've been good in spots and, and certainly certain players have stood out. Des, Des Evans, uh, in particular at, at uh, Appalachian State in that game. But overall, I just haven't, you know, I, I would say to me, that's been my biggest disappointment with the defense. You can certainly make the case for the secondary as well. Um, and it didn't help that Tony Grimes got injured probably, what, eight plays, definitely the second series against Florida A&M and you know and missed some time and everything so he's to kind of taking a while to come around and i felt like storm duck hasn't been the storm duck that you know that we saw the the this basically shut down corner for carolina you know as a freshman and certainly he's had injuries and been in and out and it's been hard for him to kind of get traction but he hasn't really shown that this year either so uh but i'm i'm staying with the defensive line because i felt like they were going to be the strength and they just haven't turned out to be so far. And it's not even that they're, uh, you know, not getting in the backfield or blowing up plays. It's they're getting beaten at the point of attack. Like they're, it's not that they're not attacking. It's that they're getting attacked at times by teams that you wouldn't necessarily expect to dominate the line of scrimmage. Um, And that's what's happening. Not all the time, as you said, they've had their moments, but, but there are times where that, Defensive line is absolutely, you know, getting losing the battle at the line of scrimmage for sure. Um, 
fundamentals and the tackling and the sort of players knowing where they're supposed to be. I expected, even if like, I mean, I think the the hard disjuncture here is between the amount of talent that's allegedly coming in based on recruiting. And if you take those ratings seriously and the performance on the field, but I expected schematically that based on everything I've seen from Gene Chizik, both at UNC and other places, that they would be pretty airtight schematically. And it still feels like, in, you know, mid-September now, that at times not everybody's on the same page. So what do we attribute that to if you, you know, it's like Gordon Gecko says in Wall Street, you fire half the management and nothing changes. Uh, what, 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 what do you attribute that to? Or, or, or do you, is there anything you can attribute it to? What do you see happening there? Well, I, I think some of it has been the newness and still kind of working out kinks. Uh, the Georgia State game, you could kind of see them, it's certainly not to the same extent as last year, with them looking at the sideline, you know, pre-snap and then scurry, you know, just hurrying, trying to get where they're supposed to be right before the ball is snapped. That that happened a little bit uh, during that Georgia State game where it just seemed like the call isn't coming in quick enough or or it's, you know, maybe taking them a little bit longer to read. But I also throw some blame on the players because on a I think it's like a 49 yard touchdown pass that they had uh, where the receiver uh, basically beat Tony Grimes and Cam Kelly. Like Kelly overplayed the ball. He if, if he stays kind of in place, he makes a tackle and it's, you know, it's still 20-something yard game, but you're, you're not giving up the touchdown there. And there have been plays like that where I, I just felt like it was really on the players not executing when it comes down to it, as opposed to, you know, the scheme and them not being where they should be. So um, I think I think it's a little bit of everything, which which is the problem because there's no easy fix you know, for this defense. Um, fortunately for them, in two weeks, Notre Dame's offense hasn't proven to be, you know, <laughs> a juggernaut, and they'll be with a backup quarterback. So, you know, maybe, maybe that will be where the tide turns for this defense. So, yeah, that, that was actually going to be my next question. They have the, the two weeks now to prepare for Notre Dame, which is somewhat less than the sum of its parts offensively, kind of in the same way. I think people expected a lot more from Tyler Buckner before he got hurt and Chris Tyree and and their their skill players. So, what's sort of where where's the low hanging fruit here for UNC's defense? Like, you know, what's if you're an assistant coach here, what are the things that you want to uh, improve in this sort of brief window that you have a chance to fix some things? What do you expect UNC to do better against Notre Dame? Like, what's the realistic expectation for improvement for this defense in your mind? A good question. Um, I think at the top of the list, tackling. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? that's the baffling one. As, yeah, as baffling yeah. is sort of the not knowing what to do. It's even when they seem to know what to do, the the this the missed tackles, especially in space, but even like it at the line, like guys getting through the line and 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 tacking on a couple extra yards, that adds up. So all right, so sorry, yeah. I'm gonna cut you yeah. off. Tackling. Well, <laughs> I would say that first and foremost, but I, I feel like the secondary has to take another step forward, you know, for this for this defense to ever really uh, get to to where it will be, you know, uh, not even dominant, but just like a defense you can trust and have confidence in. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and I think some of it has been, you know, uh, in the first game anyway, it was uh, allowing too much of a cushion. Um 
in the second game, it was to me, it was just kind of like some poor technique, you know, um, with the way that they allowed some of the App State receivers to get behind them and, and make plays. Uh, so, you know, and, and, and we saw kind of the same thing in that Georgia State game. So, um, yeah, I, I think it starts with the secondary. Their, their corners are going to have to grow up in a hurry for this team to, you know, to, to really make a step forward. We haven't talked a lot about the linebackers, so let's go to bright spots. I mean, I think you'd have to start with Power Eccles. Man, that kid is all over the place. Um, and uh, aside from that, I think he really established himself in this Georgia State game where after they gave up the touchdown at the two-point conversion and Georgia State is ahead 28-21, Power was the one a lot of players identified as being the guy who gathered them together on the sideline and helped, basically held them together when everybody was just about to start bickering and pointing fingers and you were going to have a split. So when you have that kind of a leadership, and he's, I mean, he's just a sophomore and this is really his first year getting this much playing time out there. And he's, he's definitely performed in these first three games. So that's, that's huge to have that kind of a kid assume that kind of a leadership already. And, and Cedric Gay certainly had a great game too. I think he had 14 tackles against Georgia state and was the ACC. Uh, they get out so many player of the week. Awards. The, the uh, outside linebacker of the week in a four, three defense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so ACC, um, yeah. left outside linebacker of the week in a 4-3 defense. Yeah, Cedric Gray has been playing well. And the, the thing is, he kind of got beat up a little bit in that Georgia State game. I know he you know he was on the sideline a couple of times um, where, uh, well, once right after he kind of went down on the field and, and kind of, you know, uh, had to take his time coming off. And they use Ra-Ra Dilworth a lot more uh, in the Georgia State game than the previous two games. Um, as a result, but Cedric Gray and Power Eccles definitely have been the the strength of the defense so far at linebacker. Even even when they have made mistakes, as as Chizik pointed out, you know, in coverage areas in terms of where they're supposed to drop in the zone and everything, um, they've they've been pretty much as advertised with the plays that they've made. Yeah, absolutely. Because Eccles is a great example of what we're talking about, sort of defense wide. We expected guys like him to come in as sophomores, you know, with some experience now, guys who were highly touted or very highly touted recruits that come in and perform. Yeah. And 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 you'd think there'd be more power echoes out there because he's he's been terrific and and really from the from the jump. I mean he looked like he'd been a, was a three year starter uh in the opener and and whatever else has been wrong with the defense. I guess sometimes when you're in that position playing in the middle of the field and everything else breaks down around you, you're the guy who's gonna end up having to make a bunch of tackles and he's, he's done that, but he's, he's been good. Like there's no question. Yeah. This is not situational. Power Eccles has been, has been really good. Um, yeah. One thing to keep an eye on too, um, Travis Shaw, the five-star defensive tackle from Greensboro who came in, he, it seemed like he was out there more against Georgia state. Um, it's certainly in a reserve capacity still. And I'm not saying he's challenging the starter or anything yet, but he's but, playing yeah, they they made an emphasis. They or they they at least you know had it in their books to make sure they got him more reps. And I, I think as as the season go on goes on, it'll be interesting to see how he develops. Yeah. Uh, anyone else of the the freshmen or guys who didn't play much last year uh, who you could see taking on an expanded role over the next couple of weeks on defense? Um, 
Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think maybe, um, uh, I don't know about taking over, but Javari Ritzy inside also, yeah. um, the, the three technique, as they say, uh, I, I think he's he's been somebody who they've, you know, feel like is dependable and, and they can throw him in in any situation. It uh, doesn't have to be, you know, a, a special package or special down. Um, he, I felt like he's been solid at least so far, but um, it, I, I, I do want to keep an eye on Rara Dilworth too at linebacker, just to see if he gets to the point where they feel like they can rotate those three guys and, and just to make sure everybody stays fresh and, and they have the same confidence when he's in as they do when uh, Eccles or Gray is in. Yeah. Javari Ritzy definitely a chance to be the ACC's three technique of the week later on this <laughs> season. So we're three games in there's a, we got a, a, a bye week Everybody in North Carolina is undefeated. Crazy. What, what do we know about UNC after three games that we didn't know at the end of August? Like, what have you learned about this team other than, you know, we talked about Drake May, we talked about the defense. What have you learned about this team that you didn't know Labor Day weekend? Well, I, I feel like there's a bit of, of resiliency might be too strong, but they hear the criticism, you know, like they know what's out there. It's, it's not like you can hide in this day and age of social media. And I feel like they, they're not letting it get to them. They've kind of, you know, they're, they're still at a point where they're, they believe in, in the system. They believe in the direction they're going, which so far, despite how, how many points they've given up or whatever, they're three and oh, so, you know, um, that, that'll keep guys confident and they're playing a lot of guys. So I think that helps too, in terms of the morale of the team. Um, I, I don't think that they're, they are letting anything get to them. And I also don't think they're getting any kind of their disillusions or, or, um, I don't think they're having delusions of grandeur. I should yeah. say just because they're three and oh, I, I think they know they have a lot to work on and, and you could even see it with the offense as well. If they play and putting up 35 points on Saturday, they're the offensive line because um, uh, because Spencer Rowland was out and they kind of rearranged some things. They had William Barnes move out to right tackle and and they started Jonathan Adorno at right guard for the first time. Um, they took their lumps too against against the Georgia State front four. So everybody has something to work on on this team, and I, I think that they understand that, but. Um, I think that they are are a bunch of fighters. You know, I, th I think they're they're going about it the right way, which is interesting because one of the criticisms of the team last year in that disappointing season was that they didn't fight, and yeah. that there were games where they 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 you know let let games slip away. It's funny what you said about not you know being three and zero, but hearing the criticism it reminds me of all those times Roy would talk about the 2016 team as his most talented, least appreciated, really good team. Um, you know, a team that did end up getting back to the final four for the first time in six years. But but he always sort of grumbled that people didn't appreciate that team because it was never as good as anyone expected them to be. Um, and I mean, then they came within a crazy shot of winning a national title. So, uh, and won a national title the next year, obviously. So I, I remember him complaining about that a lot. I, I don't think anyone could say that about this football team. I don't think anyone's saying that it's, <laughs> it's uh it's underappreciated three and oh i mean it's probably as as 
as awkward a road to three and zero as you could have. So they definitely should not be uh, have an inflated sense of themselves despite being undefeated. I do think that they're not getting enough credit for the Appalachian State win, though. It, it's yeah. it's like they lost, and no, they didn't lose. And and the guy on TV I was watching after App State's win um, at A and M say that they should have beat Carolina, and I I disagree with that because. He was he was specifically saying if they catch that first, if Davis catches that first two point conversion, they win the game. Well, there's still 30 seconds left when we saw, you know, <laughs> how wild that game was. And all they would have had, Drake May would have had to get in field goal position. So which yeah. I would have actually liked to have seen that scenario just to see how Drake May worked, you know, and, yeah. and who knows. But um, I'm not a big should have won kind of person like yeah. the results speak for themselves. And, you know, um, regardless of how it should have played out or could have played out when they had that 20 point lead, they still got the win. So which you can't take for granted on the road, especially and especially since Appalachian State has proven to be a good team. Yeah, it's crazy how the narrative surrounding App State in particular is basically, you know, game day is coming. They beat A&M. It's almost like they're getting credit for beating UNC without actually yeah. beating UNC sort of in the in the zeitgeist and the, the national narrative, whereas UNC is basically being treated as if they lost that game, which is funny. Uh, you know, obviously that was a crazy Saturday and both UNC and NC state left both games feeling like they'd lost, but they didn't, yeah. they won both games. Uh, and you know, the, their UNC's three and O states, two and O Duke's two and O for the first time in forever. And, and wake is not surprisingly two and O based on who they play, but pretty good start to, uh, to football in, in a basketball state. Um, you know, I think the basketball teams have all probably started to two and zero quite a few times, um, <laughs> but obviously not in football. Uh, so, all right, so let's talk a little bit about Notre Dame real quick in case we don't revisit that before before uh, a week and a half from now. I, you mentioned the injuries, uh, disappointing rookie head coach uh, with a with a first time starter quarterback, probably not an ideal combination. A lot of disgruntlement in South Bend over the way things are going um after the loss to Marshall uh so what are you expecting from the Irish uh as they play one of their faux ACC games yeah all of a sudden that that seems like you know I don't know if Carolina will end up being favored going into that game I guess a lot has to do with Alvin Notre Dame looks this week but you know it it's definitely seems like a winnable game for Carolina um uh, I, I think it's going to come down to how the offensive line, you know, if, if Spencer Rowland is healthy enough to to get back in the starting lineup or, you know, if they're still kind of uh, mixing some guys around because they, they for most of that game, they didn't look good. They came alive late in the third quarter when they started to run the ball well. And and definitely Omarion Hampton had a lot to do with that, too, because even as Mac Brown mentioned after the game, you know, he was like, Marion was getting five and six yards, even when guys weren't blocked necessarily the way they should have been or the holes weren't there. Um, he's, he's still kind of that power back that can make people miss or, or carry, carry guys for yards. But uh, that's to me, that's going to be huge because when Notre Dame came in two years ago to Chapel Hill, that was one of the things that, you know, at the end of the game, Mac Brown talked about how he felt like near the end of the game when Carolina was in position to kind of, you know, maybe win that game, they just didn't have it up front and, and they got beat, you know, on both sides of the line. So 
I, I think that'll be something to to possibly revisit when Notre Dame comes in uh, on the 24th. Yeah, and obviously last year as well, the offensive line, uh, a huge issue. So still some room for improvement there. I, I don't think there's any question they've been better than they were last year. I mean, Drake May has been running for his life, but not as often as Sam Howell and more often by choice. Um, also yeah. crazy, we got 24 minutes into this and only now got around to talking about O'Marion Hampton, who probably <laughs> has a chance at the way things are going to be in the ACC Rookie of the Year uh, if he continues to, to score and run the ball the way he has. I remember before the season, Mac talking about how, you know, DJ Jones is our starter and, you know, the Hedaway and Hampton, they're going to get a chance to play. And then, like, it was clear on night one that Hampton was just so clearly the guy. Yeah. He, uh, he he could be a special talent, man. I mean, it, it helps that he has basically a grown man's body. I yeah. mean, he's like a solid 220. And he's still fast. It's it's not like it, you know, he's one of these big guys who's who's slow and takes a while to get going. I mean, you know, to me it's just a matter of experience with him once he kind of picks up a lot of the little things, which is which is why DJ Jones is still very valuable. You know, he had the the go-ahead touchdown uh at App State, and that came yeah. on a blitz where he knew where to be <laughs> to sure. catch the ball. So uh you know, and, I, and I'm not sure that Hampton or Petaway, George Petaway, the other freshman running back, I'm not sure that they necessarily would have been would have pulled off the same uh, play had they been in the game at that at that critical juncture. So, you know, that that's the good thing about their running back group. They still they, they got a lot of different guys who can do a lot of a lot of things. But I think when all is said and done, Omarion Hampton is, is the one who's going to kind of rise to the top. Yeah, it'd be interesting to watch sort of his pass protection and, uh, you know, pass receiving develop over the next couple of years. Because I think as a runner, as a guy, as a ball carrier, he, he pretty clearly has an NFL future. But, you know, to play in that position in the NFL, you got to do a hell of a lot more than run the ball. Yeah. And that's basically all, as you as you just noted with, with DJ Jones, that's basically all UNC has asked Hampton to do so far. They haven't put him in a lot of sort of uh you know rpo uh delay uh, you know the uh, uh, route situation i mean they basically just given him the ball and told him run straight ahead which he's very capable of doing so anyway that's that's certainly someone to, to watch over the course of the season and then well we we've come up with a lot of things to watch uh against notre dame and beyond but uh yeah i mean if omarion hampton and drake may keep playing like this again as it has through three games it may not matter how poorly the defense plays um yeah, which is yeah. which is which has been true so far. Uh, CL, thank you very much for your time. Enjoy your Saturday off, unless you end up going up to Boone, in which case, enjoy a trip to Boone. And uh, I'm good with are TV. You, are you? <laughs> uh, I guess you're not going to New Hampshire with Central either. No, no. Uh, once again, <laughs> that's why I love streaming, right? <laughs> I will. I will be at NC State, Texas Tech uh the the only local home game so yeah i think that can well be i guess Duke's playing game. a&t the only local home game oh yeah against, yeah against an fbs team i should say but uh i don't know duke a&t is an interesting one uh because i thought a and i think the a&t is probably better than they showed against central in the opener oh, and yeah. uh but i don't know duke dukes look pretty good and it, it this is a subject for a different podcast but it's it's fascinating that's that's not there's some talent differences in transfers, obviously, but it's amazing how much more Duke is getting out of similar material than it had the last couple of years. And I'm, look, yeah. I'm a I'm a big David Cutcliffe fan. I think I don't think people properly appreciate what he did at Duke 
to yeah. put them in the position they were in 10 years ago and, and so forth. But uh, there's no question the fresh start from Mike Elko has filtered down to the players and it's a different Duke team. But that, CL, is a subject for a different podcast. And I'm sure you and I will be back together to recap whatever happens against Notre Dame and beyond. So thank you for your time and thank you everyone for listening to the ACC Now podcast.